Parkview Church, blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to worship as we open God's Word. So please, if you have a copy of God's Word, would you open to Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. We continue our series on the parables by not preaching on a parable this morning. It's a sort of parable. Uh, it's, a, it's a miniature parable within an overall context of the teaching of Christ. And it's the sheep and the goats. Maybe if you've been around church long enough, you've heard of this teaching before. It's a teaching from our Lord Jesus on the truth of His coming judgment. Christians throughout church history have always believed uh, that Christ has come once in history to begin His kingdom, to establish His kingdom, uh, but not yet the fullness of it. And so we await His second coming where He will return, and as the creed says, He will judge the living and the dead, and we will stand before Him and give an account of our lives. And Matthew 25, this portion of Matthew 25 in particular of 31 to 46 it gives definition and shape of what that will look like as we stand before the Lord Jesus on His glorious throne, and He judges all nations, every man, woman, and child standing before the Lord. And because we're looking at the reality of Christ's judgment, I know that that can be challenging for many of us, especially in our secular Western culture, where we so often only emphasize a God of generic love, not biblical love, but just kind of this generic concept of God loving all people, the idea of God's holiness and specifically His justice toward specific people is very difficult for us to engage. And so uh, one author talks about how it's easy to have cognitive dissonance, to kind of uh, disassociate between ourselves and that truth. It's just an idea that actually is not uh, for us, we have defense mechanisms that we can set up towards doctrines or teachings of Christianity that we frankly just don't like. But this morning we have to press in because this is the very words of Jesus himself. One author put it like this If you have a God that never disagrees with you or makes you uncomfortable, then you probably have made up that God in your own image. It's just a bigger version of yourself. Because, think of it, in any good or real relationship, authentic relationship you have with any person, there's always room, there should be always room to be challenged, made uncomfortable, confronted, in health and wisdom, of course, but there ought to always be some sort of rub, so to speak, because that's how you grow. So this morning, we might be approaching something like that for you, and we have to remember that the Lord Jesus places these words in his Bible not because he hates you and he's full of spite, but rather because he loves you and he wants your best, your holiness in him. And so we all approach this uh, text with trembling, and let's listen clearly and closely to what the Lord has for us. I will read it out loud. We will all listen intently together, starting in verse 31 of chapter of chapter 25 of Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it, to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray. Father, show us Christ through this text by the power of the Holy Spirit. How we come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, Lord, first as a servant to you and to your word. And then help me come as a servant to these dear, beloved people. Help all of us, Lord, learn all that you teach, obey all that you command, and love. Make the choice of love of all the things that you love. For the glory of Christ, your Son. Amen. So Parkview Church, what choice... Are you going to make today? Author C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, Mere Christianity, says this. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your whole life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning the central thing into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature? Parkview, what choice are you going to make this morning? Today through Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, the Lord Jesus strongly urges every single one of us to make the choice of love to make the choice of love, specifically to make the choice to love needy Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ that have a need, making the choice to sacrifice time, talent, and treasure over and over again to serve fellow Christians at the point of their deepest need. That's what this passage is urging us to do, to make the choice of loving needy Christians. 
And so to make this choice in light of who Christ is, we must observe two things. The two destinies set before every person and the one king who judges. The two destinies set before every single one of us this morning and the one king who judges. So we might think of the flow of this sermon is this. We all have one choice to make based on two destinies, two paths ending in two radically different places, and it's all based on one king. So Parkview, what choice will you make today? Let's explore the two destinies set before every person. This is the longer point because in this point, I want to go an in-depth understanding of this text as a whole and put it in its context. Because we haven't been going through the book of Matthew, we have to understand why is it that Jesus is teaching what he is right now in Matthew 25. Well, in Matthew 24 to 25, Jesus has been teaching his disciples on how to live in light of his future coming. We don't have time to look at all the details, but even if you just kind of uh, take a quick glance at Matthew 25, 24 to 25, you'll notice this phrase of the coming of the Son of Man. And like the days of Noah, and things that talk about that the Son of Man is coming and that there will be a judgment. In Matthew 25, the first part of it, before our focus passage, starting in verse 31, Jesus tells these parables, and basically, the parables are about how we as followers of Christ, as his disciples, are to faithfully wait and live for him as we await his coming kingdom. Remember where we are at in the whole history of God's redeeming work in Christ. Jesus has come once in his life and his death and his resurrection to begin and establish his kingdom, but we do not yet have the fullness of that kingdom. We await his second coming when he will return as judge and king over all the earth. And Jesus is very clear about this in our passage, starting in verse 31. Very clear, isn't he? Verse 31 to 32. He is the son of man, Jesus says, who will return to judge all nations, sitting on his throne of glory. Now, the Son of Man is from Daniel 7. We read it earlier this, uh, this morning, didn't we? In that passage, the Son of Man is this majestic figure who's given authority by God himself to rule and judge over all the nations, and his kingdom will endure forever. So Jesus is saying he is that Son of Man. And then in verses 32 to 33, he says that every person who has ever lived in this judgment will be separated into Two groups, two destinies, and these are summarized in verse 46. Look down with the very last verse of this passage, verse 46. Some will go away into eternal punishment, the goats, and some will go, the righteous, into eternal life. So again, the point of this passage is that there are two destinies set before every person who's ever lived, two destinies set before every single person in this room, this morning, to either be received by Christ in blessing in his eternal kingdom or to be rejected by Christ, moving into eternal curse and judgment forever. Those are the two destinies. And so Christ's judgment, his decision that determines this destiny is based on how we treat Christ by how we treat other people. That's the aim, that's the thrust of this passage, okay? So let's go a little bit more in detail. 
Destiny number one. Let's look at destiny number one. Okay, verses 34 to 40. Those received by Christ. It says in verse 34, those on the right, Jesus says, the king says, blessed are you by my father to inherit the kingdom prepared for them from before the foundation of the world. It's 34. Then in 35 to 40, Jesus gives the reason for this blessing. Right? Look at verse 35. That first word is crucial. For, that's a causal word. Here, so here's the reason Jesus is going to explain why the blessing happens, those received. For, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was that hungry eight-year-old boy and you, the mother or the father or the grandma, gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, we might say, arriving in a new town into a new church, and you, as you served in the hospitality team, as you served and welcomed me into Parkview Church, you did that for me. Jesus says in verse 36, I was naked, I was without proper clothing because of the war in Ukraine, we might say, and you clothed me by prov providing financially and generously to missions work in Ukraine. I was sick, I was at the U of I hospital, or I was uh, a friend or a community group member of yours, and I was sick with COVID or some other disease, and you you came and visited me, and you gave me food, and you prayed for me. I was in prison, and you came to me. There is, there's an infinite variety of ways that we can serve Christ by serving his people. But that's the focus of this passage, right? And the righteous, we might say, they're surprised. They're perplexed. They say, right, starting in verse 37, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink. We never really saw you, Jesus. So what are you talking about? When did we see you and serve you? To which the king responds in verse 40. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So this destiny, this path, is about loving Christ by serving his people. That's what Jesus is looking for. The authentic Christian life will head in that direction. Very simply, how we treat fellow Christians in need is how we treat Christ himself. The two words in verse 40 are crucial for understanding the aim of this passage. Jesus, notice, does not generically say how you treat the least of these people. He uses the language, the least of these, my brothers, which if we were in a whole series in the book of Matthew, we would have heard Jesus use these same words of brothers or sisters labeling and identifying his own disciples, those a part of his family who have received the grace of Christ by faith. Now to be clear, in other portions of the gospel, Jesus does emphasize that his followers will have compassion and love for all sorts of neighbors, think of the Good Samaritan, irrespective of their religion or their belief or whatever. But here in Matthew 25, the emphasis is about how crucial it is that true Christianity, real belief in Jesus, will always move forward towards loving him as expressed by loving his people. So destiny number one. Those received by Christ enter the eternal kingdom of the Father because they demonstrated true love for Jesus by their loving service for his people. What choice are you making this morning, Parkview Church? Now the whole text is basically mirrored or kind of flipped or repeated. 
But things, but just by the addition of a few small, tiny words, we see it flipped and kind of rearranged. Look at destiny number two, verses 41 to 45. Those rejected by Christ. Those on the left, to them, Jesus says, the king says, depart from me, you cursed. Blessing, curse. You cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and the angels, meaning the fallen angels, demons. Now, why? Because they did not love Christ as evidenced by loving his people. Notice, again, verse 42. What's that word? For. Do you see it? For. Verse 42. For, I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me, etc. The cursed people then are perplexed. They say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and not feed you and thirsty and not give you a drink? When did that happen? We didn't see you, Jesus. To which the king responds, verse 45, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, implying again, least of these my brothers, you did not do it to me. Two destinies. In summary, this passage set forth two destinies of every person. We have to make a choice. The judgment of Christ reveals which choice has been made, as Lewis says, that little part of yourself deep within you that's making choices every day, either turning into a person of curse and hell or turning into a person of beauty and blessing and heavenly joy forever with God. Parkview Church, what choice are you making this morning? The aim of this passage, what Jesus wants for every single one of us is to exhort us to prove the reality of our love for Christ by our love for his people who are in need. And anyone knows, everyone here knows this in our instincts. If, if someone would tell you, I love you. You're such a great person. I love you. And then that week, they would degrade and hurt your family members. Wouldn't you say that person actually, in reality, does not love you? Brothers and sisters, how we treat the people of Jesus, especially those who are most vulnerable and in need, expresses what you actually believe about Jesus Christ. That is why something inside of us screams for justice when we hear stories of those in the church who have power but have used that power to abuse and to degrade and to hurt those who are vulnerable and in need in the church. Now, I want to be very clear in my words and theology here as your pastor. The righteous are blessed by God and enter into the inheritance prepared by the Father before the foundation of the world, for they loved the needy Christians, and therefore they showed true love for Christ. Here's what, listen very carefully, here's what this does not mean. It does not mean that a person's fundamental acceptance with God is ultimately based upon their love or this good works. I am not in the business of preaching heresy because that would be heresy if I stood up to you this morning and said your right relationship with God, what the Bible calls justification, 
is based upon if you love people well enough or if you've served the church enough or you've been a good enough person. That is condemned by the whole teaching of Scripture flat out. The Bible's very clear. If you try to add to or strengthen to the finished work of Jesus Christ, you actually lose the entire gospel. Here at Parkview Church, we will never stop preaching and believing the great and glorious doctrine that sinners are put right before a holy, just God sheerly through the mercy and action and obedience and substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross for them. We believe that truth. We love that truth. We'll promote that truth until we die. What this passage is emphasizing is not that the gospel of God's free grace is given to those who love enough or who serve enough, or therefore you might lose your salvation if you don't love enough or you don't serve enough. What the passage in Matthew 25 is emphasizing is that the Bible teaches that there will be a judgment in the future according to works. You could look at a passage like Romans 2 that explores this in more detail. Not salvation according to works, but evaluation to reveal if the faith you had in Christ was actually true, which is always evidenced by good works of love, which means this. True faith in Christ, if a person really embraces Christ by faith, not by works, not by anything good in them, but only by the mercy of Jesus Christ and his grace given to them in the gospel, that necessarily transforms that person so that they overflow in a fruit, a fruitful life of loving and serving their neighbor, especially, Matthew 25, their Christian neighbor. We have to get very clear here that when you encounter Jesus, he radically reorients your destiny and he transforms you at the fundamental point of who you are so that you overflow in love for your neighbor. Just think about the book of Galatians. Chapter 2 of Galatians, it says a person is not justified, put right with God, by works of the law, by love, but only through faith in Christ alone. Then in chapter 5, that same author, the Apostle Paul, says what matters most is faith in Christ working through love. Faith working through love. Vertical, right relation with God by faith alone, adding nothing of yourself to it, will issue forth in works of love for fellow Christians. First John emphasizes the same thing in different language. Since God has so loved us by sending his son and the sacrifice for our sins, brothers and sisters, we ought to love one another. It's the argument of First John 4. So again, Matthew 25, do not miss the whole point here. The aim of this passage is to urge us, to urge us to all the more proving demonstrating our real love for Christ by our love for our needy brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters, there are two destinies set before us. What choice, what choice will you make this morning? You know, as I was studying this passage, I was stunned. In this one passage, did you notice that there is one of the most glorious verses in the entire New Testament? And at the same time, there is one of the most terrifying verses in the entire New Testament. Verse 34, the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. 
I mean, to think, brothers and sisters, those of you who by faith have trusted in Christ, that there is an inheritance that's a, a kingdom pre- prepared for you, don't you love, prepared for you from the foundation of the world, that you inherit, you don't merit it, you inherit it, you receive it. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis says in The Last Battle, one of the last portions of that great fiction series. The unicorn who sums up what everyone was feeling, he stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed, and then he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up, further in. Brothers and sisters in Christ, come further up and further in to what is awaiting you at the return of Christ. This passage for us as Christians ought to warm our hearts in the end and and encourage our hearts and motivate our hearts as we say, yes, come Lord Jesus, because we know that there's a kingdom coming that's been prepared for you by the heavenly Father who loves you. Please don't ever lose sight of that, dear brother and sister. The depths of the Father's love for you, the glory of being a Christian, and yet there is a second destiny, is there not? The most terrifying verse in the New Testament, one of them, verse 41, then he will say to those on the left, depart from you, you cursed into the eternal fire. This also is in the Bible. This also is something as we as Christians must look at and understand, and yes, we must teach it. Friends, let's be real. As one pastor said who I heard recently, some of us here are fooling around on the precipice of hell, thinking that our bobblehead Jesus Jr. of religious niceness can save us from an eternity in hell. Only the real Jesus Christ who offers himself to you in the gospel can rescue you from the predicament of sin that we are in. Jesus, in his justice, will utter words to some of us here who refuse to repent and truly trust in Christ by grace and faith. Away from me, I never knew you because you actually never knew the real Jesus who transforms real sinners into glorious servants and lovers of people in the church. Brothers and sisters, there are two destinies set before each and every one of us. What choice will you make today? Well, it all depends on how you respond to this one king, Jesus, of course. And I want to close our time reflecting on Jesus from this passage. Something I saw this week stunned me, amazed me, and I must share it with you. An insight from the context of this whole passage In chapters 24 to 25, we've already explored this, right? Jesus is talking about himself as the Son of Man, right? Daniel 7, this great and glorious, majestic figure who's going to come and judge all the nations at some point in the future. And then in chapter 25, verse 46, he says, the Son of Man, the one given authority to judge the world in righteousness, he says, right, there's two jet destinies, some to eternal punishment, some to everlasting life. But immediately after saying this, I hope you have your Bibles open, Because I want you to look at verse 1 of chapter 26. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll read it it to you. Verse 1 of chapter 26, Jesus says this. When he had just finished all of these sayings, all these sayings about the Son of Man coming to sit as judge on his glorious throne and two destinies before him, Jesus says to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. The Passover, that yearly meal 
in the Jewish tradition to celebrate God's rescue of his people from judgment and death through the shed blood of the innocent lamb. The innocent taking the place of the guilty and Jesus is saying that he is the son of man, this glorious son of man who has come in his first coming, whose destiny we might say set before him is not first a throne of glory and power but a cross of shame and judgment. Meaning today you can make the choice to love Christ's needy people only because 2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus as King made the choice of his destiny to love us, his spiritually needy people, all the way to bloody crucifixion on a cross. Before Jesus comes as a judge to rule, which he will, he has first come as a servant to love and save you from your sin and judgment. Brothers and sisters, do you realize all that Christ has done for you? The way that you become a person who serves fellow Christians in love and sacrifice is not by realizing, oh no, I better love people and sacrifice and service or else God's going to blast me. No, it's returning to what you have in Jesus Christ. It's returning and seeing the depths of Christ's love for us that he has shown to us in his life, death, and resurrection. Don't you realize that when we were hungry, Jesus came to us with the nourishing food of his word. When we were thirsty, Jesus gave a drink from his overflowing waters of life. We were strangers and enemies to God, but Christ welcomed us into his kingdom. We were naked and Christ clothed us with his righteousness. We were sick with sin, but Christ healed us with his compassion. We were in the prison of condemnation, but Christ became condemned for us on the cross. The only way you can safely experience the coming judgment and wrath of God is if you take refuge in the one who has taken that judgment upon himself out of love for you and then bear fruit by keeping in step with this gospel of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, are we truly loving one another this morning? I gave examples earlier in the sermon. But just think about one person in your life or maybe one group of people you're thinking about the persecuted church the needy persecution church around the world, or some brother and sister in Christ here in this community that you know needs love and comfort and support. Maybe they are in need of some financial provision or in prayer or something that they need. Do we realize that we can become the type of people that express our true love for this Lord Jesus who came first as a servant to die on our behalf to serve us at our deepest need, but also knowing that he will come as judge to evaluate us. Do we truly know this Jesus, brothers and sisters? Do we truly know this Jesus? If we know this Jesus who served us at our point of deepest need, we will, we will by the Holy Spirit's power from within us, become the people that love our needy brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll close with this quote from John Stott. This is a powerful summary of what we've been looking at this morning. John Stott was a 20th century pastor based in London, and he said this about the authentic Christian life. 
as exhibited, as evidenced by our treatment of other people. He says, first, I need to treat other people as if, as if I am Jesus Christ. If I am a Christian, I must learn to treat other people with the respect and consideration, the thoughtfulness and the graciousness that Jesus Christ himself would treat them. Second, I must treat people as if they are Jesus Christ, as if they are Jesus Christ. I must do everything as unto the Lord. As you fed those who were hungry, you fed me, said Jesus. I must treat every person with the graciousness, the humility, the understanding, and the courtesy I would give to Christ, especially my fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Part of you there is a choice before us. Right now, do you realize that the core of who you are, you are either turning into a person of eternal shame and degradation and condemnation, or you are becoming a person of infinite beauty and glory and God's eternal kingdom and heaven forever with the Lord. And it all comes back to knowing Christ. Because by knowing Christ and seeing who he truly is, it's by faith in him that we begin to bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and kindness and service and humility to our brothers and sisters. Parker, we can be a glorious, beautiful church. We are heading towards more and more becoming a glorious and beautiful church. And it all comes back to knowing Christ, Christ our Lord who served us and Christ our Lord who will come to judge. Let's pray. Father, help us make the choice today and then tomorrow and then next week, three months from now, seven years from now, two decades from now, help us be people of love, love, love for fellow Christians because of the depth of the love of Christ. Lord, bring home the gospel of Christ, of his finished work for us by the Spirit's power so we might bear fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.